Welcome to Partnering Leadership, conversations with leading influencers in the greater Washington, D.C. region and global thought leaders, helping you align better with your purpose, grow professionally with meaning, and have a greater impact. For additional leadership insights and bonus content, visit us at PartneringLeadership.com. Now here's your host, Mahan Tavakoli. Welcome to Partnering Leadership. In addition to the conversations that I have on Tuesdays with regional changemakers and global thought leaders, the first Thursday of every month, I do Leadership Insights. Now, there was such a tremendous response to last month's anti-fragile leadership that I decided to reach out to some brilliant leaders that are using this opportunity to become even more impactful, even more anti-fragile. As you recall, anti-fragility is becoming better as a result of breakage. There are fragile systems, like a glass cup, pressure breaks them. There are robust systems, like a metal cup. Pressure doesn't break the metal cup, but it doesn't make it better. There are resilient systems, like a rubber band. You stretch it, it goes back to its previous shape. But anti-fragility, which was introduced first by Nassim Nicholas Taleb, at least Nassim Nicholas Taleb is the first person to put a term to the concept, is systems that become better as a result of breakage, same as the human immune system or muscles. There is breakage, there is teardown, but they become stronger. There are leaders, there are organizations that are using the current crisis to become better and become more impactful, which is why I'm thrilled this month to have a conversation with Scott Kratz from Building Bridges Across the River on how they have adjusted to this current crisis. Now, if you're enjoying these conversations, please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on your platform of choice. 40% of you are listening to it on Apple Podcasts, about 30% on the web player, and then Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google, Stitcher, Deezer, Amazon Music all come next. And also, Apple Podcasts seems to be the only one that really cares about reviews, So when you get a chance, go ahead and do a rating and review on the Apple podcast, and I sincerely appreciate that. Now, here is my conversation on anti-fragility and anti-fragile leadership with Scott Kratz. Scott Kratz, welcome to Partnering Leadership. Thank you. Great to be here. Scott, I love the story of what Building Bridges has done over the past few months. So why don't you tell our audience a little bit before what the organization is all about, before we get to the anti-fragility that you and other organizations in the area have shown with respect to the crisis that we are facing? Sure. Building Bridges is a nonprofit based east of the river here in Washington, D.C., based in Ward 8. And we run a 203,000 square foot campus in Congress Heights. We run six urban farms all in southeast D.C., We run the Skyland Workforce Development Center, and then we lead a larger effort that I'm running called the 11th Street Bridge Park, a project for the district government to transform an old freeway into a park over the Anacostia River. So seven, eight months ago, we get hit with a pandemic, which has had many consequences across the world, across many communities, most specifically communities of color. How have you all as an organization adjusted and how did you adjust to this? Yeah, building on your point, Mahan, the the pandemic has exacerbated existing health and income inequalities in our community. We've seen in Ward 8 the highest rates of infection 
the highest mortality rates, highest job loss, because many of the folks in this community in Ward 8 work on the front lines. They can't do work from home like many other people can and therefore have a greater susceptibility to COVID. So when COVID was first hitting, to be honest, I think like so many other people, we thought, well, okay, this is going to last a few weeks, maybe a month, and then we'll get back to whatever normal is. And I don't think anybody, or at least I wasn't smart enough um, to realize that this was going to be a seven or eight month issue. But it became really evident pretty quickly that this was going to be more than just a couple of weeks. The, this was having disastrous impact on the community. So we pivoted to see what can we do to serve the immediate needs of the community. And we did two things. One, when the school shut down, that was a real sign and a real need for the community because almost all of the schools in Ward 8 are Title I, which means that the kids and students rely on getting two meals a day for free there. Um, so there was a huge need for food access. And this is particularly an award that has one grocery store serving 80,000 residents. So we immediately partnered with several other nonprofits, DC Central Kitchen, Martha's Table, World Central Kitchen to transform our campus here in Southeast DC into a food hub. So we were we started handing out free lunches, the free bags of groceries. To date, we've served over 40,000 meals on the two completely free of charge through working with larger partnerships that now have expanded to include the ARC as a site for food distribution with the National Capital Area Food Bank. In addition to that, though, we saw that there was a greater need. We saw the rapid job loss. We saw a community that was already being already facing pressures of displacement, the gentrification and rising rents where people didn't have an income coming in anymore. So we did what we've done sort of from the beginning is how do we marshal larger resources and partner with other high-performing nonprofits in Ward 8 to make a larger impact? How do we leverage our individual assets to make a a much bigger mark in the city? And interestingly, pre-pandemic, we were already meeting with three other nonprofits, Martha's Table, Bread for the City, and Far Southeast Family Strengthening Collaborative, to see where we could work together, where there was alignment, more about anti-displacement strategies. But then the pandemic hit, and and I called up all of these executive directors and said, hey, if, if you're need to focus on your organization because of the panicky time we're in, I totally get it. But I do think this is a great time that that we can connect, make a bigger impact. And every single executive director said, absolutely. So in a weird way, the pandemic was the catalyst for us to come together and work. I think if there wasn't COVID, we would have talked about this and we would have scheduled meetings and those meetings would have gotten canceled and perhaps we would have worked together, perhaps not. But there was the urgency of now. So we quickly pulled together and pulled together a short description of meeting the needs of the community. And that was a few, three key deliverables. One was cash, financial assistance, particularly for families you know, who had lost their jobs. Two was access to food. Three was, the, or, and, and connected to access to food was dry goods. So cleaners, toilet paper, Tide, whatever. And finally, being a larger navigator to connect Ward 8 residents to larger resources, whether that's signing up for unemployment insurance, or whether that's what happened to my stimulus check, or connecting to mental health services. And I should say, we were all so impressed by Martha's Table started some of this work right out of the gate. They recognized that some of the young parents that they were working with had this immediate need, and they started putting cash out the door without any fundraising. Without And this is a time of a real unease and panic. And they use their resources to 
push it out the door immediately. And so we said we were all so inspired by that work. We said, how can we work together to expand this to even larger community of Ward 8? That is absolutely inspiring, Scott. I love hearing it. So in addition to the fact that it brought all of you together faster to respond to this urgent need, how has this crisis made your organization and the collaboration of these organizations better, more robust, stronger? Yeah, I think the particularly the collaboration with these other nonprofits. I mean, I've known the leaders of these other nonprofits for a while. I've got personal relationships with George Jones at Bread for the City and, and uh, Dion Reeder at Far Southeast and getting to know Kim. But it's brought us so much closer. I can't tell you the number of phone calls over the weekend, late at night, as we're trying to build the plane as we're flying it. We had to be really adaptable because we we didn't get everything right. There were a lot of hiccups along the way. This is really complicated. How do we make sure that we're not doing inadvertent damage to these families by trying to do good? And by that, I mean, by providing access to cash and finances, there was a potential of endangering local and federal government benefits, Medicaid, SNAP, TANF, um, so forth. And these are things that we had to really figure out. And, and there was a real trial by fire for us. And I think because there was that existing trust, because there was that existing relationship, we were able to sort of push through that. But what's really interesting is that the relationship that we had on that executive level has now filtered down to the rest of the staff. On a weekly basis, the staff from each of the four different organizations have a meeting. We've got an hour call every Thursday. We're going to have one tomorrow to troubleshoot, to share what went right, to share anecdotes of, of how this, this is not, and this is not an insignificant amount of money. It's $5,500 per family, the plus weekly groceries plus monthly dry goods. So it's significant. So to, to buck each other up where the trust now has permeated the entire staff. So I think it's drawn all of us together as a larger sort of organism, if you will. And I think what it's starting to do or what it has done is part of the challenge of, of how we serve communities is often we're broken down into these silos. We're broken down into a silo of food service or legal aid or the arts and culture. And each one of these nonprofits has a core strength that has that we've been able to lean on and, and pulling those core strengths together, right? Um, the, starting to break down those silos because we're we found that we were often serving the same families, but in a very disjointed way and not a coordinated way. And now it's much more coordinated. So I think longer term, we're already starting to think about what's next. What We call this larger partnership Thrive East of the River. And we're already trying to think of what's Thrive 2.0, right? What's the, what's the next way that we can serve a community? Because we have a deep well of trust that we've built up with the executives and with the rest of the team. What a beautiful example of anti-fragility, Scott. Crisis that no one wanted but you have taken advantage of the opportunities provided to become even more effective in serving the community and a community at the greatest need. I love the article that you wrote for Brookings and you ended by saying, we are going to ensure that residents don't just survive this crisis, but thrive. Yeah. And, and in addition to that, it's really fascinating because we're just starting to connect these. We've raised enough funds right, right now. We've raised in a short amount of time in about five, six months about three and a half, a little more than three and a half million dollars. So huge kudos to the individuals, corporations, and foundations who've been able to support this work. And that's a lot of money in a time of, of tremendous unease. And I think there's no way any of us individually could have done that. We could only do that by working together. 
But to date, we've been able to, I just got the numbers a couple of days ago, we've distributed over $1.6 million directly into the hands of families. And, and that's great. And that's really fantastic. But I think one of the things that also really excited funders about this is we built in a robust third-party evaluation for this. So how do we make sure that we're not just holding on to the lessons learned, but we're deliberately and intentionally sharing these lessons learned with a larger population. Municipalities are already facing the issues, emergencies, and, and this is an example of a place-based solution that hopefully can inspire and, more importantly, we can push them up their learning curve so we're not all collectively making the same mistakes and Oakland and Dallas and, and San Francisco. And we should be, right? We're the nation's capital. I mean, we, we often say that we should be the template of how things work. And sometimes that is successful and sometimes not so much. But I think this is an example where DC can really be a leader. And this is something I think we can all collectively be proud of. Well, thank you, Scott, for your leadership and impactful leadership in the community and sharing this story with the partnering leadership community also. Thank you, Scott Gratz. My pleasure. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Partnering Leadership with your host, Mahan Tavakoli. For additional leadership insights and bonus content, visit us at partneringleadership.com.